So what's your superpower? You know, that's the new trendy question. It used to be, what's your sign, you know, Leo or Pisces? But these days, superheroes have broken free of comic books and taken over IMAX movie screens and theaters. Each one has a special power like invisibility or shape changing or flight or super speed or chlorokinesis. And apparently everybody's got a superpower that that they can identify in order to bolster their self-image. My power is riding horses, says 13-year-old Susie. My power is building Lego cities, announces 10-year-old Billy. (laughs) I mean, I'll admit, I guess I was born too early to care about superheroes in the way millions of other people do who pay hundreds of dollars, if not thousands, to go to Comic-Con and dress up as their favorite superhero. What can I say? Well, I can at least say this. Superheroes with their superpower have absolutely destroyed the logical meaning of the word hero. (laughs) And that's what I'm going to explain in this episode as I share another secret in in part three of my podcast mini-series, Handling Pain in a Bumble Ramp Culture. Hi, I'm Doug Newton, a pastor for 45 years, national award-winning magazine editor and author of 24 books, And this is At the Intersection with Doug Newton, where scripture, culture, and character meet. I'm here to help you pursue the kind of character needed to align with scripture faithfully and engage culture graciously. Now, each week I make one observation about our culture, I give one insight from the Bible that speaks to that issue, and I suggest one way to strengthen the character that you and I need to relate to our mixed-up world with exemplary grace and fresh impact. And this is a no-gripe zone. Our question is not what's wrong with our culture. It's about what's the right way to respond. So, you ready? Here we go. Have you noticed how certain words are just overstated these days? They're used too much. They apply too easily. They go over the top like, that's awesome. Really? Someone's homemade barbecue sauce can be awesome? You're in awe? Like you're at the edge of the Grand Canyon? I mean, seriously. Or, these chocolate chip cookies are to die for. Really? (laughs) You'd risk life and limb for one of them? You know, inflation strikes more than the value of money. It also strikes how we characterize human efforts or experiences. Like, we call people who march in protests activists, whether or not they've ever demonstrated any interest in social justice beyond carrying a poster in a one-day march, as long as the weather cooperates. (laughs) So now moving on to the issue at hand today, the word hero has become inflated. We call someone's effort heroic if they just go public with something they believe or do that might garner a little ridicule. I mean, sure. It might take some boldness. But again, does that qualify as heroic? <laughs> as I mentioned in the intro, the entertainment world has been overtaken by superheroes. Each one has his or her superpower, which they parlay against uh, into uh, you know uh, victorious efforts against evil. But stop and think with me, logically. A person 
can't be a hero unless they have a real chance of some severe loss, particularly the loss of life, right? Well, that means that the greater your powers, the the more super your powers, the less heroic you can be because you have less chance of being harmed. So if there really are people with superpowers, they are less capable of qualifying as heroes than any people on earth. <laughs> so today, I want to reclaim those words hero and, and superhero so that we will use them properly. And at the same time, I want to point you toward the kind of heroism that will help you handle pain, discomfort, and fears. You know, pain and discomfort or the fear of pain and discomfort are the very things that often keep us from being the people of character that we would like to be. So let's set aside this comic book version of heroism and consider true heroism. And where better to start than with the Congressional Medal of Honor? According to the Congressional Research Report, the medal was first presented, get this, in 1863 and has been awarded 3,517 times. Now, interestingly, that number would be higher today, but several hundred have been withdrawn after the discovery of some disqualifying information. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Uh, you're going to have to Give us your Medal of Honor back. You actually didn't deserve it after all. (laughs) For example, during the Civil War, President Lincoln awarded the medal to every member of a single regiment as, quote, an inducement to keep them on active duty. You know, hey, if you don't walk away and go home scared, we'll give you the Medal of Honor. (laughs) So finally, in 1916, a board was created to review all previous recipients and to create a, a, a permanent eligibility set of standards. At that time, there were 2,625 medals that had already been awarded, and nearly one-third of them, 911, were canceled. The new standards that they created for eligibility serve to clarify, actually, how we should think of heroism. Let me let me read uh, from the actual legislation the three standards that they set here here we go the president is authorized to present in the name of congress a medal of honor only to each person who while an officer or enlisted person of the armed forces shall hereafter in action involving actual conflict with an enemy distinguish himself conspicuously by gallantry and intrepidity. (laughs) I know he's going to have a hard time getting that word out. Intrepidity at risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty. Now that's a mouthful. Let me break it down simply into three criteria. First, it has to do with military action against an enemy. It has to involve the risk of loss of life And it has to be an action which is above and beyond the call of duty. Now, that is the criteria for the Medal of Honor. But in order to get a more general look at heroism, let's take those same standards 
and place them in more of an ordinary life setting, not in a warfare setting? What what would what would properly be considered heroic for any person like you or me in uh, common life? So that means that we got to kind of convert each of these uh, warfare or military-based standards into common life standards. And here's the first one. Military action against an enemy converts into just action against someone or something that would do harm to others. The The risk of a loss of life would have to convert into something like the prospect of significant irrecoverable loss. Maybe not the loss of life, but loss of something that you're never going to get back. And then the third, above and beyond the call of duty, would convert into above and beyond a standard moral obligation, a standard moral obligation. Now, one day my high school friend and I decided to jump into rapids with inner tubes below a 150-foot waterfall swollen by hurricane amounts of rain. We faced death unknowingly, and we immediately lost our inner, tu- inner tubes and just were swept along and crashing into stones and getting cut up and nearly died. W- was that heroic? No, <laughs> it was stupid, you know, and even more stupid when we did it a second day this time. We wore motorcycle helmets to protect ourselves from head injuries. I mean, stupid, stupid, stupid. Or a burglar quietly enters a, a house risking his life if the homeowner has a shotgun. Is that heroic? No, not at all. I mean, yeah, it takes nerve, but it's not a heroic act because his purpose is not moral, right? Or this one, a secretary risks losing her job by refusing to follow the boss's instruction to lie to a phone caller that he is out of the office when he really isn't. Is that heroic? Well, I mean, it is commendable, but it doesn't actually qualify as a heroic deed because it actually isn't above and beyond the standard moral responsibility that we all have to simply tell the truth at all times. Now, why am I taking time to clarify the true nature of heroism? Well, we need to identify true heroes so we can find out then what motivated them. And that will give us insight into what can motivate us to handle the fear of pain and discomfort. And this is so important because we all need to handle pain and discomfort if we are going to do things that are right and good and important and be trustworthy and reliable in our relationship with others and have impact on people around us. Now, last week, I introduced the value of distraction we can temporarily reduce the sensation of pain or the fear of potential pain by distracting ourselves. And one way to distract ourselves is by imagining something worse. Remember, we talked about that. Something worse that will happen if we don't stay the course and press on through the discomfort or the fear. If you missed that, check out that podcast. It's uh, it's a very important uh, skill to learn. But today, I'll show you another more positive distraction that heroes employ all the time, even though they may not be conscious of it at the time. You see, most people who do heroic acts are distracted 
from the pain or the fear because they are being motivated by a sense of a greater good that overpowers the experience or the possibility of actual pain. As I live stream this podcast, there are many American or Hungarian or Polish citizens or some from other countries who are making trips in and out of Ukraine to bring relief supplies to citizens of that war-torn country. I know some of them by name. They are voluntarily risking their lives and enduring great hardships to make these trips. They're not morally obligated to leave their families, to risk their lives, to care for the citizens of another country. They are going above and beyond the call of duty because they have a greater good in mind. And what is that good? Well, it varies, you see, from person to person. It can be different. For, for some, it may be the greater good of, of just rescuing innocent people. For others, it might be shifting the balance in the world toward the go- uh, golden rule, you know, they, uh, doing for others what they would have others do for them if the roles were reversed. They, they just want to live by it. For others, it may be encouraging Ukrainians to stay the course against the violent aggression of Putin's Russia. These are are some of the you know greater goods people may have in mind, and, and they could even have others. Greater goods that are simply more important than the hardships they are going through. When I was uh, 59 years old, my wife and I, and she was also 59, we went skydiving. <laughs> we didn't want to, but our church's youth pastor devised a diabolical fundraising plan where the senior pastor would have to skydive if the congregation met the highest financial goal in the fundraising uh, event. Uh, and and uh, they did. <laughs> and so I had to go. And, and Margie being the wonderful, courageous partner that said, well, I'll go too then. The date of the event was still three months away. And so for three months, I had to wait and become more and more fearful as the day draw drew near. I, I had I had to do something, you know, to ease my growing sense of panic. And one day I had this thought. There are fellow Christians in many parts of the world who face persecution and death because of their faith. I mean, if they can do that, I can jump out of an airplane. And that's when I decided I would, I would do it as an act of solidarity with the persecuted Christians in the world. And, and I would be honoring the bravery of my brothers and sisters around the world. And that sense, honestly, believe me, <laughs> that sense of a greater good immediately reduced my fear to almost nothing. And I was actually feeling peaceful about it. That is, <laughs> right up until about 10 minutes before, and they, they made us start signing these documents that just kept emphasizing page after page, you could die, sign your name here, you could die, make sure you sign your name here, you could die, say all three names, Douglas, Mark, Newton. <laughs> and yet the distraction of this greater good actually worked. And the experience was incredible. 
However, <laughs> I did decide that it was going to be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. <laughs> well, something like this greater good principle fills the Bible's most famous chapter about heroes. Fifteen people are specifically named, and scores of others are mentioned in categories and general terms, and all of them faced as the writer described, severe suffering and death because they looked forward to the greater good of a better resurrection. Listen to this. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. You see, that's that's the secret of handling pain. Another one, you're distracted from fear and pain by a vision of a greater good. And you know, that's all through the Bible. Let me just take you to the Apostle Paul, a couple of examples. There was a, a time period when he could have been so frustrated, like many of the other disciples were, over the fact that there were some disreputable people who were preaching the gospel. But rather than getting all torn up inside over the pain of that kind of uh, you know, dishonor and, and disreputable people, he, he saw the greater good. Listen to what he wrote. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And then in the same chapter, he talks about being in chains in a prison. We can't even begin to imagine what a dungeon-type prison would have been like back then and how painful it would have been, how uncomfortable, how how horrible it would have been. But here's what Paul wrote in the midst of that. He wrote, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. You see, that's that's this image of the greater good in his mind that overpowered the fear, the discomfort. And actually, was kind of what made it possible for Paul and Silas in one of their prison experiences to be singing at midnight, singing hymns, rather than complaining or moaning. But again, that's the that's the Bible. That's the Apostle Paul. Let me let me show you how this works in a very ordinary way. There have been several times in my adult life that I have told lies, white lies, black lies, pick a color. Usually the lie snuck up on me and escaped from my mouth before I even had a chance to trap it. For example, one Sunday, I had finished preaching in our first service, and I was greeting people before the second service would begin, and an older lady named Joyce, who worked in our library, uh, shook my hand and asked, Pastor Doug, have you seen the new display I made in the library? Uh, no, I haven't, but I'll I'll check it out this week. I'm sure it's good. Well, 
I had every intention to follow through. But the next week, even though I had tried three times to break away from my office to see the display, I never made it past the long hall of staff offices without getting stopped and sidetracked. And so by the time the next Sunday came, it had just slipped my mind until Joyce approached me again with the same question. Hey, pastor, did you see it? Now, I didn't want to lie. I believe very much in telling the truth, even when it's self-incriminating. But it's amazing how quickly our minds can rationalize at the speed of lies. Oh, dear. She's going to think I blew her off, that I don't value her work for the church. I I don't want her to feel uh, insulted like that. And so in a nanosecond, my defense was concocted and approved in my mind. And before I knew it, it came out as a slippery, oh, yeah, it was great. Good job. Almost instantly, as I turned to walk away to get ready for second service, I thought, how can I go up there and stand in the pulpit and preach with this lie hanging out? I, I, I mean, I despise hypocrisy. I, I do not want to become one of those preachers who teach one thing but live something else in secret. By this time, the lady had left the building, but I found a group of fellows who often wanted to pray for me just before second service. And before we prayed, I confessed what I had done. I asked for their forgiveness and promised them that I would seek out Joyce uh, as soon as I could and tell her the truth and ask her forgiveness as well. I mean, I didn't like the prospect of owning up to a lie with the men and particularly with Joyce and potentially losing their trust and respect, especially hers. But the fear of that discomfort diminished as I embraced the greater good of the importance of integrity, especially among pastors who stand in the pulpit and supposedly declare the truth. You see, That's how thinking of a greater good and keeping that squarely in mind can help you handle pain, discomfort, or the fear of pain and discomfort and press on doing what is right and good and important. Now, if this greater good method sounds like something that might help you, I've got another crosswalk guide for you to use uh, this week to see how this process might apply to your life now and in the future. I mean, it really is a good technique uh, to practice and to make a habit. Well, that's it for this week. I'm, I'm so glad that you were here. I hope you'll agree. This really is important stuff. And if you appreciate what I'm trying to do in this podcast, would you share it with friends? And and please, again, subscribe to my Fresh Impact YouTube channel. Uh, it's so helpful. It, it, it tells YouTube's algorithm that there are people out there who want this kind of content and instruction and inspiration in their life. I remember in 24 hours, I'll have the permanent version up on YouTube and an audio-only version for those who want to listen on the go. And all of that information about the podcast past and future can be found on our website, and all of the links can be found at the end of this video. 
So thanks again so much for tuning in. If you think, again, if you think this podcast is valuable and hope that it will continue, would you leave me a comment or send me an email? I'm hearing about churches that are actually using these and groups of people that are using uh, these episodes and then having discussion surrounded. So let me know, drop me a note if that's something that you're doing as well. Well, I hope that you'll join me again next week at the intersection with Doug Newton. I'm already looking forward to showing you one final way to handle pain in this bubble wrap culture. And in the meantime, when it comes to handling pain, always try to focus on the greater good rather than the actual pain. See you again soon.